טוב, אתה מוכן. אתה רוצה להיות מוכן למה שמגיע. אז אני מגיע לרופא, Hope everybody got over Pesach. Not easy. Two minutes. Dva minut. Is it time? Eight o'clock? Thirteen seconds, yeah. Thirteen seconds left? Yeah. Or thirty seconds over? Seven seconds to go. Okay. The Parsha's Kadoshim. The Parsha's Kadoshim. Uh, this Parsha comes up every year. And uh, generally, I try to avoid the first posuk in the parsha. But today I thought I would take a chance and see what we could say about that posuk. If you look at the sheet, the posuk says, Kadosh Ani Hashem 
both parts, both clauses are extremely difficult. Kedoshim you sounds like a command, like a directive. Be that way. Of course, in order to be that way, you have to know what the word Kedoshim refers to. And there is no obvious antecedent. There's no way to understand what Kedoshim refers to. The last clause in the Pasuk, Ki Kadosh Ani Hashem Elokeichem, is worse than confusing. It's, it's impossible. I mean, how could you say we should be what God is when you use this word Kadosh, which is incomprehensible when it refers to man, and certainly incomprehensible when it refers to God. It's not like saying, Mahu Hanun, Hanun, where basically the word Hanun is something that we can understand. We understand mercy. Man can be merciful. And certainly God is merciful. That, that we can understand. But Kadosh, we don't understand what Kadosh is. And the idea that we should be as God is doesn't make any sense. Now look, you, ha- you have to understand. You have to understand this. Where is this? Shabbos. Shabbos. We keep Shabbos, the Torah said, because God kept Shabbos. True or false? True. However, when it comes to Shabbat, the Torah tells us how to do it. Right? How do we do Shabbat? Oh, we don't cook on Shabbat. Is that because God didn't cook on Shabbat? Certainly not. But it was, there was an understandable gap between what God did to create the world and what we are going to do to imitate God in creating the world. God rested on the seventh day. So we want to rest on the seventh day, but we don't know how to rest on the seventh day. So thankfully, the Torah comes and tells us, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. Right? that in that way, I say, even though I can't really imitate God, but I can do what the Torah tells me to do as a sort of imitation. That's about Shabbat. When it comes to Kedoshim, I don't know what the word means. And secondly, I don't know what it means to say that God is Kadosh. I suppose God is Kadosh. But does it make sense to say that? And does it make sense to say that since God is Kadosh, I should imitate God's Kedusha somehow in my own life? Inconceivable. So now Rashi tries to deal with all of these problems at the same time. And Rashi says, Kedoshim tiyu, hevu prushim in arayot min Separate yourself from arayot and from avera. Now, of course, um, this is a kind of little odd, because really what Rashi has done here has reduced the idea of Kedoshim tiyu to zero. How do I know what sexual encounters are forbidden. How do I know that? The Torah says so. The Torah tells me there's a list. Where's the list? The prominent list that Rashi is referring to at the end of the parasha of Achremot. So there's a list. So what does Rashi say? If you do what you're supposed to do 
and you don't do what you're not supposed to do, then Kedoshim to you. Then you are Kedoshim. In other words, the word Kedoshim, according to Rashi, does not carry a special meaning. It's just the sum total of Torah activity. If a person goes with the Torah, he's Kadosh. That's all it says. And then Rashi adds to that, Umin Ha'aveira. Min Ha'aveira, right? What's an Aveira? An Aveira is something that's written in the Torah. Not something that you think about on your own. It says the Torah, don't eat this. Don't go there. Don't, give, uh, don't go to the Beit HaMikdash in a certain state. That's called Aveira. So Kedoshim to you, Rashi says, Ave Prushim min ha'arayot umin ha'avera. Meaning that Kedoshim is the de facto or the default title for people who do what they're supposed to do. And, and the words Kedoshim to you are not a tzivui. It's not like saying, and besides all the stuff that we've told you up to now, Kedoshim to you. It's not that. It's rather that if you do what you're supposed to do and you refrain from doing what you're not supposed to do, Kedoshim to you. What? All right. Okay. That's Rashi. Now, if you look at the Ramban, there is a famous machloket, right? Uh, a really famous machloket. Even people who don't know a lot know this machloket. So what does the Ramban say? See, Kedoshim to you, not the first part, the, fi- the fourth line, the end of the fourth line, it says, Kedoshim to you. So he quotes Rashi, the Ramban. Ramban doesn't usually quote Rashi because he agrees with him. He usually quotes Rashi because he disagrees with him. Now, what does the Ramban say? What does he disagree about? He says, I've over Torah Kohanim. Torah Kohanim is the Medrash. The Medrash Halacha to the book of Ayikra, which is also called Sifra. Sifra. Ha-Sefer. The Sifra. He says, Torah Kohanim, Ra'iti Stam, Prushim to you. In other words, in the version of the Torah Kohanim, that I, the Ramban, am looking at, it only says, Prushim to you, separate yourself, but doesn't say, Min harayot Min Haveirot. Nachamul? In the Torah Kohanim it says, Prushim to you, but it doesn't specify, Min harayot Umin Haveirot. Now, either Rashi had the same text, a different text, another text, I mean, we don't know, right? That's, you know, people who are interested in those kinds of things will talk about that. But the Ramban sees this as a reason to disagree with Rashi. And the Ramban says, I'm sorry, Stam, Prushim to you. And he brings another, another proof of the, uh, of the but without specificity. So what does this mean according to, according to the Ramban? So if you look at uh, uh, five lines from the bottom, right, the third word, he says, Rashi's wrong. Kedoshim to you doesn't mean 
do what the Torah tells you to do and refrain from doing what the Torah doesn't want you to do. Avala prishuti hamuskeret bekol makom batalmud sheba'aleha nikra'im prushim. What is prishut? Prishut means that the person who practices prishut, he's in a special group. He's called parush or prushim, plural. Vainyan. Ki is here harayot ba'arayot u'machalim ha'asurim ve'tira ha'bi'a ish be'ishto v'achilat ha'basav ha'yayin in Cain, in other words, we all know that there are limitations on eating and there are limitations on sexual activity. Some things you're allowed to do. You're allowed to eat meat and, and wine. But you're not allowed to eat chazer. You're allowed to... Uh, you're not allowed to have relations with your wife, but you're not allowed to have relations with somebody else's wife. That's what, that's what the Torah said. He says, In Cain, Yimtza Bal HaTa'ava, Makom Liyot Shatuf Bizimat Ishto, Nashav HaRabot. He says, this still leaves it up to us. We can pig out. I mean, you know, you could overeat, you could be a Zolel V'Sovei, but you make a brocha before. You eat. In, in other words, the fact that the Torah legislates, this is what the, the Rabban says, and this is a, uh, like a very profound issue. The Rabban says that the Torah gives you a direction. It says this you can eat and this you can't eat. And that means, according to the Rabban, that when it comes to eating, there's room for you to do a little bit more on your own. Okay, theoretically, I can eat a tremendous amount of food every time I sit down to eat. I make this bracha, I say berkat amazon, but I realize that since the Torah is concerned about eating and what you should and should not eat, I realize that here is an area in which added prishut, separatedness, is a positive thing. So if a person would say, Okay, but I'm not going to eat meat every day. Or I'm not going to eat the most expensive foods every day. It's not something that the Torah commands us to do. But according to the Ramban, that's the road to Kedusha. That's the road to Kedusha. So there's an essential difference of opinion between Rashi and the Ramban. According to Rashi, you do what the Torah tells you to do. You can't do more than the Torah uh, tells you to do. If you could do more, then the Torah would tell you to do more. So if the Torah says, eat this and don't eat that, that's called Kedusha. The Ramban says that when it comes to two, these two areas of ta'avot, of desire, right, sex and food, he says in those two areas the Torah gives us direction. And it's up to us up to us to move in the direction of Kedusha. And what does Kedusha mean, according to the Ramban, certainly in these two areas? Less, a more judiciously, not uh, uh, with no propriety or, or uh, uh, you know, a positive frame of, of reference. So again, the Ramban is a trailblazer in this area. Because what the Ramban says is that what the Torah really wants 
is for us to figure it out on our own. It's for us to move in that direction on our own. So I can't say that everybody who goes and adopts a crazy diet is becoming kadosh. But I mean that according to the Ramban, if my thinking, the way I think about it is, I want to do what the Torah really wants me to do. But in this area, the Torah didn't command me to be out of it. You know, alone, by myself. And most people can't do that. But if I find that I can be kadosh, according to the Ramban, I should do so. I should try my utmost to be kadosh. So here you have an essential machloket, a difference of opinion between Rashi and the Ramban about kadoshim, uh, about kadoshim to you. Interestingly, as an aside, I'll tell you that the, that Mecklenburg, the Ketav Kabbalah, there's a, uh, a commentary on Tanakh, which is actually, even though it's printed in a very unreasonable way, I mean, considering that today everything is laser printed and it's still printed in the old way, <coughs> the Ketav Kabbalah is a very popular, uh, a very popular work. A parish on, it's a parish on the Torah. The Kitab Kabbalah says he doesn't understand what the Ramban means. Because the Ramban seems to say that this is a desire. We should be this way. Kedoshim is not exactly uh, like you, you did it, but you're doing it. And he said that, that the word Kedoshim in that case is the wrong word. This is the Kitab Kabbalah says. That the right word is to use is Hasid that a chassid is a person who tries, who tries to improve, right? That's what the, the Mishnah in Brachot talks about chassidim rishonim. Chassidim rishonim would come to daven early and they would sort of meditate before they actually started davening shachri. They were chassidim. But kedoshim are people who have achieved all that there is to achieve. I mean, they're, they're kedoshim. Ki kedosh Hashem. You can't say that God is striving for Kedushah. I mean, that, that really doesn't make any sense. So he questions the interpretation of the Ramban on that basis. He says, according to the Ramban, the word Kedoshim to you is about people who are striving. People are looking to come closer to God's will. Whereas he thinks that in Hebrew, the word that describes that is Hasid. And not kadosh. And certainly, how can you say ki kadosh adi Hashem elokechem? You could say that God is kadosh. God is not striving. God is not trying to be kadosh. God is kadosh. So if the author of the pasuk is you be kadosh, like God is kadosh, then there has to be a be here. You know, you gotta have arrived. You can't just be striving. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Oh, uh, I'd like to, uh, even though I, uh, it's not one of the svarim that I use regularly, there's no doubt that Shimshel Phil Hirsch's parish on the Torah is full of interesting, interesting insights. Interesting insights. Hirsch had this um, tendency to base a lot of his commentary on, on imagined uh, etymologies. Like he'd say, this word is like that word, and uh, 
and then go and build. Uh, but but the building that he built was based on thoughts that he had, and the thoughts that he had were usually good. So I'm not sure why it is, but the, the parish of Hirsch is not used as widely. Uh, let me say certainly not in yeshivot. Uh, I'm not sure why. But here I want to learn with you a, uh, a comment that Hirsch made, which is relevant to our discussion. The pasuk that he quotes, that I'm quoting is, right? Shabbat. Shabbat Nachamu. Vayivarech et yom hashvi'i vayikadesh oto. Now, of course, this is a pasuk that we all know, but I'm not sure that anybody could really explain it to me. Like vayivarech vayikadesh. It sounds like A leads to B. I don't understand A, and I certainly don't understand B. What is Vayivarech Hashem Elokim et Yom Hashvi'i? What does that mean? I mean, we have certain idea about bracha. I don't. I want to get into it, but I just want to convince you that it's difficult. Vayivarech Elokim et Yom Hashvi'i Vayekadeshoto, and then after that, after Vayivarech, Hakadosh Baruch Hu did Vayekadesh to the Yom Hashvi'i. All right. Those of you who are very comfortable with this pasuk, because we say it every Friday night out loud at home, Tavo Alechem Bracha. But, you know, I find it a little difficult. Now look at what Hirsch said about this. Vaikadesh Oto. He says, what is Vaikadesh Oto? This, is, this was written in German, and this is a Hebrew translation that was put out in here in, in Eretz Israel by the the Isaac Breuer Foundation. So I don't know exactly who, who translated Who was the translator? But I think it was somebody named Breuer. But there are a lot of people named Breuer. They're all related to each other. And it's not, I'm just not sure who did it. But look at this. So this is the Hebrew translation of the German original. And, um, there's a translation in English, a translation in German. That may be sort of why, because the translations were made kind of late, maybe part of the reason that it wasn't uh, studied so much. By Kadeshoto, you see that? Heniklo Ilui. God granted the seventh day Ilui, an upraising, right? God made the seventh day something special. Kedusha Venitzchiyut. Sanctity and eternity. How does that sound? If you say sanctity, eternity, you can't go wrong, right? I mean, just because it's like, you know, sometimes you don't understand something, and then, uh, so oh, it means A and B and C, and you don't understand A, you don't understand B, you don't understand C, but then you're, you're not so willing to admit that you don't understand anything. Well, you understand one word, I mean, it's not so terrible. But here, it is like a little Minecraft cook, you know, like, uh, uh, it says, Heniklo Ilui, what is Ilui? The word Ilui means raising him up, right? Kidusha Venitzchiyut, Shoresh Kuftalet Shin, he goes on to say, because he liked the idea of roots, that if, according to Hirsch, roots had meanings, whereas according to modern grammarians, roots, of course, have no meanings, because roots don't exist, so how could they have meanings? 
there was a root is just a way of saying something, you know, but, but they don't exist because when we talk to each other, we always use words. Like there's a, the root kuf dalit shin without vocalization doesn't exist. <laughs> unless, you, unless you belong to some African tribe and you could say words without uh, vowels. You know, but there's no such word, right? There's no such word, there's no such thing as a root. A root is a convention. It helps out, it helps sometimes, but it doesn't exist. Or as it exists someplace else. It doesn't exist in the language, it exists in the grammar. What root? Word, a word is not a root. I'm saying a word is a word and a root is a nothing. But here what he's saying is shorish. Shorish means root. I mean, I know that this is distressing because you learned this in the third grade that there's a root, but, but, but uh, you can quote me. There's no such thing. Shoresh kuft alachin mitzayen etach leitiyut agmura. Absolute perfection. Shehi lemala mikol nigudim, which goes above all contradictions. Itmasrut mutmuchletet. Absolute devotion. Shaloto aim al yidei kol ma'avak. Shalo tu am. I'm sorry. Shalo tu am. It will not be dimmed by any struggle. You can't. You, know, you can't compromise on kuf dalit shin. Kuf dalit shin is the end of the road. Umikan kadosh. And that's how you get to the word kadosh. This is a word because it has that vav between the dalit and the shin, which indicates a vowel. And words have vowels in Hebrew anyway. That's the kadosh. A person who is entirely devoted to good and the higher thing. Until within him there is no struggle about chushaniyut. Chushaniyut is uh, is the physical, right? Physical connection that that you could touch and feel. There's no struggle. and the opposite of kadosh. Is Kadesh, you know, there's a word in Hebrew, Kadesh, Kadesha, a prostitute, man, male and female. Mi shehit maser b'shleimut lechushaniyut, the one who is totally given to physicality. Ad shekava b'kirbo kol zik shel kochotato, until all of the sparks of goodness within him are destroyed. Okay? Okay, I think that's enough. We get the idea. What's the idea? The idea is that Rav Hirsch seems to agree with the Ketav Kabbalah and not agree with the Ramban. Remember, what did the Ketav Kabbalah say? What did the Ketav Kabbalah say? He says, what? Kadosh is not aspiration. Kadosh is somebody who did it. He's finished. Whose aspiration, according to the Kabbalah? Chassid. What does Rav Hirsch say about Kuf Dalit Shin? 
But of course, he's talking about God and the seventh day of the week. And he says, it's the absolute, perf- absolutely perfect uh, a desire to be spiritual and an absolute denial of my need for anything physical. Right? Not that I don't eat or sleep. But I, I don't, I don't, Lomit Yachais Lazay. That the Hirsch says someplace else. He says, people eat, they sleep, but they, these people, like Moshe Rabbeinu, he had no need for that. He had no interest in that. He just did it because that was the way he was made. He was like a car who had to have an oil change every time 10,000 kilometers, so he did it. But it did no interest to him. It the same interest to Moshe Rabbeinu as it has to the owner of the car. Right? You know, the, the owner of the car feels the same before they change the oil, and after they change the oil, there's no, no difference. The same thing is true, so he says, that's what Kadosh is, so it sounds like Hirsch agrees with, Hirsch agrees with, the Ketava Kabbalah, who had an issue with what the Ramban said, because the Ramban said that Kedusha is the search for, the seeking for, the desire to improve, to make things better, to come closer, whereas Rashi said that Kedusha was a perfection of sorts, in other words, you know exactly what you have to do, what the Torah says. And you have to, you know exactly what you should avoid, and that's what the Torah tells you to avoid. Okay? But, but that's a different kind of perfection. That's a perfection that everybody can achieve, whereas the perfection that the uh, Hirsch describes, the perfection that the Hirsch describes is a little bit, a little bit different. Okay, Ad Khan. Are we here uh, together? I mean, so you, like, like this is the basic, the basic issue whether Kedusha is something that is de facto. If you do what you're supposed to do and avoid what, you, what you're supposed to avoid, you become de facto Kadosh. Or is Kadosh a new kind of aspiration, as the Ramban says? Like beyond what you have to do and beyond what you have to avoid, you could also be moving in the direction of Kedusha. Whereas, according to Hirsch, According to Hirsch and, and maybe the Ketav Kabbalah, Kedusha is there. You could be that way. A person could get to the point where his only interest and aspiration is sanctity and he denies entirely his need for physical or practical things, which doesn't mean that he doesn't do them, that he doesn't eat or he doesn't sleep, but it means that he just does it very perfunctorily. Without, uh, without being very concerned about them, and his concern remains always, his concern remains always with uh, Kedusha, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. he walks with God. Now, of course, one of the, uh, the commentaries that uh, was very concerned about this Pasuk and didn't like it, because it anthropomorphized God in a way that was unacceptable. Anthropomorphized means it made God like man. So if you say, if you say God is Kadosh, and you can also be Kadosh, well, you can only be Kadosh in the way you could be Kadosh. You can't be Kadosh in the way God is Kadosh. That means that God is like you, somehow, with that kind of way of reasoning. So the person who was most strongly opposed to that kind of reasoning, of course, was the Rambam. And he comes back to this topic again and again in the Moran Nebuchim and the Guide to the Perplex. So I took out a section. It's not the only section. 
but it's uh, uh, not untypical. Not untypical. It's um, part three of chapter 47. Part three, chapter 47, the guide to the perplexed. It's here in, in English because the, the guide to the perplexed, as you know, was written in Arabic. And to date, probably the best translation, I don't know, it was the English translation of Penis that this is copied from. But uh, now there are new translations, translation Hebrew by Schwartz, who was a professor in Tel Aviv University. And that translation is, I mean, I'm not an expert in this at all, but I can tell you that people say that it's an outstanding translation. Schwartz. Okay. So let's look at the Guide to the Perplexed. As for his dictum may be exalted, a dictum is like a statement, right? Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am holy. Recognize that? It's similar to what we've been talking about. It does not apply at all to uncleanness and cleanness. Sifra states, literally, this concerns sanctification by the commandments. Well, whether it says it or not, Rashi says that's what Rashi says. Right? did a different formulation, but that's Rashi. For this reason, transgression of the commandments is also called uncleanness. This expression is used with regard to the mothers and roots of the commandments. Namely, the commandments concerning idolatry and incest and shedding of blood. I mean, these are, this is the Rambam's theory. The Rambam had this theory about essential mitzvot or essential conceptions that a lot of mitzvot were connected say, to idolatry. There are a lot of things that we don't do because they, they, they keep us from being idolatrous, which is uh, a, a main issue in the Torah. With regard to idolatry, it says, because he has given of his seed unto Molech to render unclean my sanctuary. Okay, turn the page. Uh, he quotes the Pesukim. Uh, third line it is used of disobedience and the transgression of commandments concerning action or opinion it is used of dirt and filth her uncleanness is in her skirts and is used according to these fancy notions or referred to touching or carrying certain things that's tuma or being under the same roof of certain things that's tumat ohel with reference to the last sense we say the words of the Torah are not subject to becoming unclean similarly the theme holiness is used equivocally in three sen- uh, senses opposed to those three senses. So, when we say Kedushah, according to the Ramam, Kadosh or Kedushah, we're not referring to some exalted state that is difficult for us to comprehend even, but we're referring to doing what the Torah wants us to do. We're referring to uh, prohibitions against idolatry and prohibitions against Tuma'ah. And that's what Kedusha means. So that, ra- that the Ramban, uh, the Rambam, sorry, the Rambam and the Moed of Bukhim comes down clearly on the side of Rashi. Right? He's with Rashi. Right? And, and it's inconceivable to him, to the Rambam, that the word Kedusha could be an add-on a new obligation, something that you didn't know about before, and that somehow that new obligation can be discovered if you look carefully at God. That's impossible. What God gave us in the Torah, according to the Rambam, is what God wants us to know. And what we can know about God by looking in the Torah and doing a little philosophy, that's it. 
That's what there is to know. God certainly is not interested in telling us that there's a Kedusha in heaven that we can seek to emulate if we're really clever. That the Ramban, the, the, the Ramban, Mohenavuchim does not accept. Okay? No? That's what the, so the, the, we can say that the Rambam agrees with Rashi. Agrees with Rashi and disagrees with the Ramban who seems to think that the Torah has like some open-endedness to it. And that open-endedness is called Kedushah. And if you look hard for the Kedushah, you'll find a little bit here, a little bit there. You'll be able somehow, you'll be able somehow to move in that direction. Right? Hershey, remember, Hershey, remember, spoke of Kedushah as something that was, that we could find. And it had to do with the distinction between human spirituality and physicality. And that if you would deny the physicality in yourself, I mean, not to the, not to the point of committing suicide, but if you deny the physicality in yourself and you emphasize the spirituality in yourself, then you would be achieving Kedusha according to, according to, uh, to Hirsch. Now, the last source that I'd like to, uh, that I'd like us to consider is the Mesilat Yisharim, right? The Mesilat Yisharim, as you know, is written by the Ramchal, or Moshe Chaim Lutzato, who in his short life managed to uh, have a great effect. Uh, he was born in the beginning of the 18th century, and he died when he was 36 or 37 in Akko. In Akko, so he went from, he was born in Padua, where he studied as a young man. Um, when he was 20, he announced that he had received um, communication from a Magid. You know what a Magid is? Magid is the person who comes to you in your dream and tells you Pshat in the Gemara. If somebody comes to you in your dream and tells you anything else, it's not a Magid. <laughs> but if he tells you Pshat in the Gemara, then he's a Magid. So when he was 20, he had these visions and he created around himself a chabura of people who thought that, you know, they would rather be with the guy who was talking to the Magid than with the other guys who were vilifying him for talking to the Magid. So he had his group. But eventually the vilifiers won in Padua. You know, Padua was a university town. And there were a lot of uh, uh, generally well-versed intellectuals in Padua. Nevertheless, amongst the Jews, there were also a few narrow-minded types who forced, ultimately, the Ramchal to run away, to leave Padua. And he went on his way to Amsterdam. And from Amsterdam, he went to Eretz Yisrael. What he did is an interesting story, but it's not our story right now. He went to Eretz Yisrael, and he was in, uh, in Akko. I think it was malaria. I think he died of malaria and, uh, in Akko. And he's buried there today, near the city of, the city of Akko. So he's one of those people who managed to do a lot and have a tremendous effect in his short life. He wrote a book called the Mesilat Yesharim, which itself is a story, because he wrote it several times. He wrote it uh, once as a, in the form of questions and answers. 
And then he wrote it again in a discursive way. Right, you know, chapter one, chapter two. And he used a certain kind of logical setup, which I haven't got time to describe now. But it's very interesting. If you have a chance to learn about the Messiah's Yishorim, you should. Now, the Messiah's Yishorim became a favored book amongst the practitioners of Musar. Now, I don't know, I can't explain to you what Musar is right now either, so I assume you all know what it is. Musar is when you convince yourself that you're a bad person. That's, that's called Musar. And then you hope that maybe you'll figure out a way to make yourself a better person. But this book, the Mesilat Yesharim, which is about values, it's about, you know, how to improve your way, your doing, and your acting, right? All of that uh, became a favorite book amongst the Balei Musar, the Talmidim of Rabbi Yisrael Salater. Not the le- not l- least because it is reputed that the Vilna Gon said that there isn't an extra word in the, Mes- the first eight chapters of the Messiah Zishar. Now, I don't know if that means that the Vilna Gon only learned the first eight chapters, or if he thought there was a crisis after the eighth chapter. But if the Vilna Gon, if in fact the Vilna Gon said that there isn't an extra word in the first eight chapters of the, of the Messiah Yishorim, that, that's a very serious compliment. Because the Vilna Gon, the Vilna Gon's expertise was at parsing sentences to show that there wasn't an extra word. If you learn this, the Vilna Gon's Perish Mishle, for example, you'd see, see what I mean. Any event, the last chapter in the Messiah Yishorim is about Kedusha. The last chapter, chapter, what does it say? Kavva. Chapter 26, we see Yisharim, a chapter that most people who learn the Messiah Yisharim don't get to. Because, you know, the, the Zman is over and then you start over again. You know, back to the beginning again. So, but it's a really, it's interesting from several points of view. But we're interested in our question. And our question is, what is Kedusha? So here is the Messiah Yisharim, the beginning of the 18th century, right? He wrote this when he was still in Padua. And it was printed while he was still alive. That means, you know, before 30, he was 37 years old. And, uh, and uh, people knew about it. It was a, well, a well-received book. And this is what he says. Inyana Kedusha Kaful. Kedusha has two parts. What I mean to say is, at first there is avodah, there's investment, there's travail. Travail, there's sofogimu. And at the end you get reward. You get reward. The beginning of, 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 of Kedusha is, is um, effort. You've got to make an effort to be Kadosh. But at the end, it's a gift. What does all this mean? Says, you know what Kedusha is? Kedusha is something that's not attainable, but you can get it. What I mean is not attainable, no matter how hard you work at it, you won't come become Kadosh. What do I mean you can get it? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees that you deserve it, he will dis- 
bestow upon you the Kedusha. So if you look again at the paragraph, it says, Basically, you have to put in the effort. Avodah. So full, and at the end, you're never going to be able to get it. Never going to be able to get it. So full, gmul. Gmul means a reward, compensation. You're going to get it. Right? Tchilato ishtadlut v'sovol matana v'hain ishtadlut v'sovol The beginning of it is what you do for yourself. You make yourself kadosh v'sovol mashimikad shimoto. And at the end, God bestows the kedusha upon you. If you do a little, you'll get a lot. What? No, and that's what Chazal meant when he said Adam Mekadesh if you work on yourself, So what's the ishtadlut? So what do you do? Like, like, like what's the effort? Where do you put in the effort? Is it Rashi? Or is it Ramban? So the, the Basil Yeshurim says, I'm sorry, ishtadlutu adam nivdal a person should be separated from physicality, from anything that is physical. Like Hirsch. Who came first? The Mesilas Yishorim or Hirsch? Mesilas Yishorim, of course. Did Hirsch see the Mesilas Yishorim? Undoubtedly. Did he mention him? Not that I remember. He tries. He's always cleaving to God. etc., etc., etc. I don't want to go through all of this. And then the next paragraph. Again, this is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 11. The end of the 11th line, Al Kena That the end of it is a gift. He says, you could just do your best. You could say, you know, there's something called separate, cleaving to God, staying away from this, coming close to that. You could do all of that, but... You see those words? The fourth, third word on the line. Very similar to Shabbat. Right? And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help him get over that, that issue. That he has to sleep and he has to eat and he can't always be thinking about God because there, there are times when it's not 
reasonable but God will enable this state of tmidut of of always to be uh, to take place. Uh, he has to eat, he has to sleep. He has to do other things, he has to take care of himself, herself. But God will help you to overcome that limitation. Next paragraph. He says, such a person, even though he continues to eat and to sleep and to care for himself, all of those actions become subsumed under the general heading of Kedushah. And now you see the difference between Tahor and Kadosh, reminiscent of, of the Ktav Kabbalah. Who was first, the Misrad Yisharim or the Ktav Kabbalah? The Misrad Yisharim. <coughs> Again, right, the Ktav Kabbalah says, said, remember that Kadosh is not the right word. Kadosh is a person who has achieved that fulfillment. The word for this kind of person that the Ramban is talking about is Hasid. That's what the Ketav Kabbalah said. But here we have the Mesirat Yisharim. Remember my example with the oil change. In, in other words, he, he does it. He brushes his teeth in the, mo- in the morning. But it's entirely perfunctory. Right, he's not going to think too much about which toothpaste to use. So, so that, that becomes the world. He's in the world of Kedushah. And so you don't allow physicality to disturb your equanimity, so to speak. And you remain a, a tahor. that's all there is. There isn't anything else. The Rambam didn't find it problematic to think that like the souls were like, like dancing around in heaven, but they were that was the difference. They were entirely with God. Not just temporarily with God like Nevi'im, and not just almost with God like Kedoshim, but with God. He says, Such a man, such a person, is comparable to Mishkan, tabernacle, Mikdash, temple, Mizbeach, altar. 
וכמאמרם זל, ויהו מעליו אלוקים, ויעקב אבינו, האבות הן הן המרכבה. So avot hein hein amakava that they that the avot Avram Yitzchak Yaakov are like the chariot on which God sits, but it's not not just that the avot are a place or determine a place, but they are able to sustain the presence of God, right? In other words, to sustain the presence of God, and not just you know God says uh, you know I'm here so to speak, but you have to be able to sustain it. And when you say the Avot Heinein Merkava, that the fathers, Avram, Yisrael, and Yaakov, were the chariot upon which God's presence was to be found. So you're saying something about the relationship. Everything goes back to relationships. Okay? I'm sorry. Uh, Anybody have Hasidic background, you know? They, when they eat, they're, they're sacrificing to God. Because everybody knows that sacrifices are sometimes eaten. Eaten by the Kohanim, eaten by the Baalim, by the people who brought the sacrifices. But that eating is surely not the same as any other eating. And when you break bread or share uh, a meal with HaKadosh Baruch it's a little bit different. A little bit different, you may have noticed that Hasidim, not all Hasidim, many Hasidim, many Hasidim think that having a meal with the Rebbe is different. It's not like a way to save money on having Shalashidis at home. <laughs> it's not like that. Besides which, they don't always trust the Rebbe and they eat at home before they go to eat with the Rebbe. What? So anyway, the, the, the idea is the idea is that there can be there can be a meal which is divine. Can be. It may look like it's a meal, but it's actually it's actually shared man and God. The korban part of it burns up and goes to heaven, and part of it is eaten. Now that is not. Like going to McDonald's, it just is not. And so, so there are, the Basil's Yisraelim uses that as a simile for explaining to us what it means when a man of great kedusha, of great sanctity, stops to eat. Like, what is he doing? How do you say he's eating, but he's still he's still uh, kadosh? I mean, what, what about what eating? Eating is eating. So the Mitzvah says, no, eating is not eating. Because if you eat with God, then that's different than eating alone. Now this idea, this idea which is emphasized so strongly in Mitzvah here in this chapter, is certainly something that we could attribute to the notion of brachot. Like when I sit down to eat a piece of bread and I say, brachot Hashem, hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. So, okay, great. Chazal uh, uh, said it's a good thing to do. So we do it. But what is it we're doing exactly? What is it we're doing exactly? We are changing the nature of the experience. Ah, you think it's exactly the same? It's not exactly the same. Because if a person eats because he's hungry, 
but he or he eats because he recognizes that God is taking part in this su'uda in some way, that without God's support, we wouldn't have the, the wheat and we wouldn't have the, 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 the batter and we wouldn't have the bread and we wouldn't have the cake. So that's different. It's a different meal. Now you say to me, most people, they just don't make brachas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. And it's not that kind of, but you could imagine that a person might put that kind of significance into the meal that he's eating. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you've seen people. I have seen people. For whom eating was less important than saying Birkat Amazon. Can you imagine that? That the eating the food was less important than saying the brachot. It was like, like today we say, what do we say? We say, I don't want to eat bread. You hear people say that? I don't want to eat bread. Because I don't want to make that bracha, that bracha, birkat amazon. I want to eat bread. It's like, book for care. I want to just eat. I want to eat. If I eat bread, then, listen, I've, I've been teaching for a long time, so I've heard everything. <laughs> so if I eat bread, if I eat bread, I'd say birkat amazon. I don't want to say birkat amazon. Then there are other kinds of people. They say, eat? It's an opportunity to say birkat amazon. I want to, I better do that. I better, it's like a different, a different, so you could have even, even about something as, as, as obvious and simple and necessary as eating, you could have points of view that are radically different, one from the other. And that's what the Messiah Dishorim is saying. He says the Torah gives us a model and says there's, you know, there's eating. You go out and you kill a, an animal, you could eat it. And then there's another kind of eating. You take a, an animal of a certain age, and you make sure that it's tamim, that it has no blemishes, and you give it as a sacrifice. The kohanim are there, the leviim are singing, and then you get, and then the fire comes down by Drisham. The fire comes down from heaven, consumes the part that is, that goes la shamayim, and the rest of it is eaten by the kohanim and the baalim. And you say, this is not a regular meal. This is like the Torah, it was the Torah gave us this model, according to the Visayat Yisharim. According to this model that what distinguishes a regular meal from a highly uh, sacred meal is the participation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the meal. I mean, you have to understand that. And, and our way for participation of you, if you're not a chassid, the way of participation is to say the bracha. Right? It's, it's God's meal. Amotzi lechem in ha'aretz. Bari priya gefen. It's somehow connected. It's somehow connected. So if you could eat the meal, somehow connected to God, like the korban was in the Beit HaMikdash, then I can understand how a person can obviate his physical needs to his spiritual notion. He could change everything. Right? Everything becomes becomes uh, dependent on his spiritual understanding. So we see... What? That... The spiritual understanding and the spirituality makes him kadosh? Yes. In other words, here we're talking about how that spirituality becomes total. After all, you have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to do things. So, so how does the spirituality, which is... Kedoshim to you, according to Bishat Yisharim. So he says, look, there's a model in the Torah that tells you that even eating can be Kadosh. And that is if you eat with God. 
if you eat on your own, so the, you're right, the, there's a contradiction between eating and Kedushah, but if you eat with God, then there's no contradiction. Have a good Shabbos. Madame Marev, Marev. Yeah? then if what you're striving for can I substitute striving for chumrah? Sometimes. So it's not necessarily a chumrah. It could be striving in what we do anyway. Like if people strive, uh, could strive to daven with kavanah. Uh, that's a striving. It's not like saying a chumrah. It's not a... Chumrah could be a replacement for striving. There's a person who's frustrated about striving and doesn't really see any room for improvement. So, an easy way out is to, uh, is to take a chumrah. And chumras are, are very uh, palliative. Yes, that's right. I thought that that's what he's advocating. I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's... I think he, he says, you know what you're supposed to be doing, so you have to try to do it, but you're not going to get there so fast. Yeah, always do a little more. But it's not, I don't think it's a chumrah. I think it's a, a reasonable position for a religious personality. No, no, who's going to dive in? To Zevet? No, if you'll do it in one night. What does that mean? Interview? Okay, bye. Close the... No. Bye.